This is Dylan FM, the podcast that goes deep into the work and world of Bob Dylan. If you love Dylan, you're in the right place with your host, Craig Danuloff. The Bob Dylan Center is a miracle. Actually, it's four miracles. Miracle number one is Bob Dylan. Anyone listening to this knows that there's no other explanation for the totality of who this guy is or what he has done. Without him, no Bob Dylan Center. Miracle number two. Bob Dylan saves every goddamn thing he ever touches or gets near for 50 years. Who does this? Who does this when you're constantly traveling around the globe, invested in thousands of events and enterprises with tens of thousands of people? Without this archive, no Bob Dylan Center. Miracle number three. An oil billionaire in Oklahoma decides to fund the acquisition of those archives, purchase and set up a building, hire staff, and operate a museum for a Jewish rock and roller from Malibu by way of New York by way of Hibbing, Minnesota. Without George Kaiser, there's no Bob Dylan Center. Miracle number four. Everyone involved in this project, from Bob to Dylan's management to the staff hired to build and operate this, to the contracting teams who get line item responsibility, to guest stars of all kinds, all of whom do a world-class job of setting up and filling and operating the place. Without the teams of people who executed, there is no Bob Dylan Center. And without the actual folks who did this and still do, it could have gone wrong in a hundred different ways. On May 10th, the Bob Dylan Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma celebrated its first anniversary. I was fortunate to be there when Michael Gray gave a wonderful talk sharing his experiences and thoughts on Bob Dylan, who he first saw live in one of those famous 1966 concerts. That talk, I believe, will soon be shared on video with all Dylan Center members. This was my first visit to the center, and I hope to share a very lengthy set of impressions in a blog post soon. All I'll say here is that I was blown away by how excellent it was, not just because it holds so much cool stuff, which it does, but because of how thoughtfully and well-executed everything was and is. The most amazing thing about Bob Dylan to me is the scale. He's bottomless in every direction. And somehow the center seems to realize that. They don't try to hold him or his story in on any sides, and both in terms of the physical space and the broader operations they're enabling, They support the exploration of Dylan, not in some small way as a musician or person or a cultural figure, but in all the big and unexpected ways that Dylan inspires. While in Tulsa, I was able to sit down with Steve Jenkins, the director of the Bob Dylan Center. I asked Steve if he would indulge me in a conversation where I asked the questions that might only matter to us Dylan freaks. I told him going in, I was going to ask, but of course, he didn't have to answer anything, and that we could cut out or not use anything that wasn't appropriate or not comfortable for conversation. He not only agreed, but he answered everything and asked for no edits. As you'll hear today, Steve is knowledgeable, passionate about Dylan and the center, and genuinely interested in making the most of the opportunity he and we have with the Bob Dylan Center. Steve is definitely one of the miracles, the right guy in the right place at the right time which makes the Dylan Center so powerful and exciting. Once again, there's an extended version of this interview available to FM Plus and premium members. That's about 30 extra minutes of questions and answers you're going to want to hear. 
There are now 30-plus deep-dive versions of our podcast available to members, and it's just $4.99 a month. Subscribe right in Apple Podcasts or at fmpods.com. And your membership not only gets you our bonus shows, but all of those from Pod Dylan and all the other podcasts in the FM Podcast Network. Please consider supporting us. Now, here's my conversation with Steve Jenkins, director of the Bob Dylan Center. Steve, well, thanks for agreeing to talk. As I said, what I'd like to do is talk about some of the things that the, the hardcore Dylan people might like to know about the Bob Dylan Center. We've all watched and listened and learned a lot in the last year or two, and everyone who's been here is incredibly impressed, as I now am, after a, a, I've, I've walked through about half your facilities, and uh, in two days, I don't think I could have taken it in any faster. There's just so much, and it's so good. We're here at the one-year anniversary, and Michael Gray spoke last night, which was fabulous. Why don't you give us a little bit of a state of the universe after a year from the point of view or talking to the people who have paid attention? Sure thing. So first of all, a pleasure to be speaking with you in this context, especially on the auspicious occasion. We have made it to the one year, as you say. And, you know, it's just been full steam ahead from the first moment. So I'm not even sure if I've had a, a time or have been able to create the space to, to reflect on Everything in its totality, I do know that, you know, the numbers tell a certain story. 40,000 plus people in during the first year. We've had visitors from all 50 states. I wasn't sure if Alaska was going to make it the first year, but sure enough, uh, some folks from Anchorage were here. Uh, you know, I think we're in over 30 countries now represented by visitors, hardcore Dylanologists and also more casual fans, uh, but a lot of people just feeling the sense that this was a pilgrimage that they had to make. Uh, and to come and see the Dylan archive, all, all of the materials that we have on display, and to feel connected uh, perhaps in an even more immediate way than they've been able to before because we've got these materials, of course, from the, the archive from Dylan himself that I believe shed new light on on the creative process. Uh, one thing we've really focused on for this whole first period and, and as we're looking ahead to the next phase is that concentration on creativity. And while that might sound obvious since we have a, an entire center devoted to one particularly fearless creator, I think it's worth making that point. Sure, the you know, the biographical details are here and you can learn uh, about Dylan in a, in a chronological way uh, and walk through his life and, and work thus far. Uh, but what we're most concerned with and what we've focused on if we've done our job well is that creative process and looking at Dylan as an exemplar of fearless creativity. Visitors really seem to be picking up on that. And, you know, I've heard time and again uh, that they feel inspired to tap into their own creativity, which definitely is part of the mission. So it, it's been nice to see some of our big picture ideas uh, sort of play out on a day-to-day -day level as visitors are coming through. They're very eager to share feedback. Uh, once they walk in the doors, many of them are super excited. And whether it's 90 minutes later or five hours later or two or three afternoons later, they're eager to talk to staff. You know, oh, I can't believe I got to see the postcard from Pete Seeger. That explains so much more about what happened uh, in Newport 65. Or, you know, I had no idea he did pastels because sure 
enough, we have this whole beautiful suite of uh, portraits that Dylan made in in that medium. Uh, so a lot of surprises that uh, visitors are encountering and then a, a real desire to share and, and talk through. So it's communal in a sense. Uh, at the same time, everyone coming through, I think, finds their own path, their own journey. Uh, you know, I, I, I playfully refer to No Direction Home as a, as a sort of uh, ethos for us. Uh, we try to extend that throughout the galleries, two floors of uh, exhibition space, uh, with no one dictating uh, or, or providing um, a constrained experience as to how one must go through the center. It's not one of these places where you start in hallway A and it's almost a, a maze where you have to do it and then you get let out in the street and yes, goodbye. Yes, like an Ikea <laughs> store, I suppose. Uh, you know, in some museums, particularly those that rely on an audio guide and headset experience, usually for, you know, a temporary exhibition, not always for a permanent collection, but there's there's usually only one way to navigate those things, you know please stop here and listen to X and then turn to your left and step three paces and check out the next, you know, old master painting. And here's what you must think about it. Uh, we're really trying to get away from that and just provide information, suggest context, suggest possibilities that the uh, material seem to, to, you know, bring up for us. Uh, but uh, as always with listening to Dylan, uh, just going through the Dylan Center, everyone's interpretation is equally valid and fascinatingly diverse, what what people take away from the experience. And for people who haven't been here, you've got a sort of nice tap system. You hand out a little iPod with headphones and then people can wander around and there's a like a tap pay kind of thing, but it's a tap listen. Touch points, we call them. There are dozens throughout the galleries and whatever catches your fancy, whether it's a, a photo of young Bob with his high school friends uh, and you see a touch point there, well, what's all that about? You know, it's a, it's a former buddy of his who formed a band in, in high school. And so we go that far back in Dylan's musical evolution. And, uh, you know, so you, you can spend some moments there. Uh, maybe across the way in that same gallery is an entire section on one song, let's say Joker Man, for example. And you can listen in on early versions uh, leading up to the uh, a performance of the song on the Letterman show with, you know, the pickup band, the plugs looking at 10 different iterations of the lyrics of the song in that same section. Uh, so in, in all these cases and many, many more, there are layers of information. Uh, we have found, again, you asked to, you know, where are we? What's what's the state of things now with year one? Just in the rearview mirror. And it's that things are working well insofar as we've tried to design the center so that someone walking through who, you know, maybe has limited time or nose blowing in the wind and is mildly curious as to what happened after that. I think there's plenty for that visitor to, to see and to listen to. Uh, we call those skimmers, if you will, not pejoratively, just as a descriptor. Swimmers, the next level that we think about, uh, are, I, I picture them doing laps back and forth in the gallery. They're checking things out. They want to be sure they haven't missed anything. Uh, or they're listening into something two or three times or looking at all the video footage, uh, going deep, deep, deep into uh, these different levels and really getting as full experience as possible. But beyond those, and maybe the, the Dylanologists listening in today will uh, relate most to 
uh, the divers. So beyond the skimmers, beyond the swimmers, you have the folks doing the really deep dive. And if you want to get into all of the audio and video that's available through the tap of an audio guide, uh, through the scrolling on a screen in the uh, gallery space, you have all these opportunities to get into hours and hours and hours of you know, rare footage, most of this, again, that folks had never seen before the archives uh, made their way to Tulsa, uh, where we now have them in the permanent home. So let's talk about that. When you have a limited amount of space, you have a limited amount of resources, and you have this giant treasure of things that I assume is actually still growing. I wanted to ask about that. Sure. Um, so there's a natural thing from the insatiable in a, in a bad way. <laughs> you could lay, lay the stuff out from here to, to Dallas and we'd go, yeah. well, gee, can't you make it to Austin? <laughs> um, what's the thinking on that? I mean, you provide a, a, an enormous amount, but there's, there's more. And I, you know, I was going to throw one of your predecessors quotes at you in 2017, Michael Chaikin stood on stage and said, if you want to come listen to, you know, every second of the street legal sessions, you'll be able to walk in. If you want to come watch every a frame of D.A. Pennebaker's footage, you'll be able to do that. Practical reality, I assume, took over there. But what's the sh- what's the short answer to the folks who go, you know, we want everything. Yes. You're supposed to give it to us, which you're not, but we, we can think that. No, of course. You know, the, we don't want to hoard the material. The whole point is to make this as accessible and available uh, as we possibly can. And that's on two levels. That's for the general public who are coming into the public exhibition space which is about 15,000 square feet of our 29,000 square foot facility. Uh, The other layer is for uh, scholars, academics, uh, researchers who, uh, if their application is properly vetted and and if uh, they have, you know, seemingly have a very good uh, legitimate reason uh, to do so, we will uh, grant access to the bulk of the materials that we can't at any one time have out on the floor simply due to lack, you know, to lack of space. I, we'd be in the same boat if we were a hundred thousand square foot facility, you know, cause there's that much. Um, so we have to be smart as curators and as organizers to tell the best stories we can tell with the materials available and with the space available. We also don't want to pack so much into the public space that it truly becomes an overwhelming experience. D- Dylan creates this problem because it's so big, so wide, yes. and you can go that you can go deep as possible on every one thing. It really is a curation problem, and you've done it beautifully. I'm, I'm by no means here to complain, but it, it is. A, I can see how hard that would be on anything. Sure. Well, that you know, you could fill that whole lobby with you know blood on the track, the whole facility with blood on the tracks if you wanted. I'm we sure we could, which I think would be of real interest to a subset of a subset. And so that's part of the thinking too, which is how do we appeal to uh, folks who are listening in today who no doubt know very possibly quite more than I do about take 36 versus take 47 uh, of any given track. Uh, you know, we want the we want the fun of that and the the sort of obsessive, the wonderful obsessiveness of that. Um, but again, I mentioned, say, the, the hypothetical visitor who, uh, as of day one, did, was no longer hypothetical, but was real, which is, Dylan, is he still alive? What, you know, what became of him? Imagine not knowing the answers to some of those fundamental questions, but we have to. And I say this not in any sort of condescending way. On the contrary, if we're to sustain ourselves 
you know, for year after year after year, and we're not going anywhere. This is this is for good uh, here in Tulsa. We must be of interest and appeal and and value to really as wide a, 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 an audience as possible. So when you think about it along those lines, while still being extraordinarily rigorous in our research, in our scholarship, in the decisions we're making about what to show and what not to show at any given time, uh, you know, taking it very seriously, we we have to put ourselves in the shoes of someone for whom Dylan is not uh, a waking and a, and, a, and a dream time obsession. Um, that's why, for example, the 23-minute uh, immersive film experience multitudes is set up at the beginning of the visitor experience uh, so that someone can walk right in and really be hit with this multi-leveled, multi-projected uh, you know, audiovisual spectacle, if you will, uh, to really pull folks right into the times, the places, the mindset even of Dylan at pivotal points throughout his life. Now, you know, we might want to see an eight hour version of that and we'd gladly sit there and have the images and the sound surround us on three sides of the gallery. Uh, but to do it in a succinct way, uh, but still be visually rich and, and leave an ambiguity uh, being true to Dylan's spirit, a little fun mixing of fact and fiction, uh, you know, playing into some of the mythology, but also questioning and challenging that self-mythology. All of that's in there, I think, in bits and pieces. Um, but I've heard time and again from visitors that they were quite emotionally moved uh, and are by by that initial film experience. Um, so again, diehards will look for one thing. Aha, finally, we get the man in me studio footage that was long rumored to have existed. Someone was in there with a camera. Amazing. You know, for, for another viewer, that's just a blip in a, in a larger story that we're trying to tell. So let's talk about the membership a little bit. So when it was first announced, I don't remember how far ahead of the opening it was. As you say, there's kind of a bunch of really accessible levels, kind of 60, whatever, up, you know, up through 1,000, 2,500. And then there's some higher end levels where people can make more substantial contributions. How do you think about the, the future evolution of that membership program? I mean, I, my sense of it as a user was people were would join at the level that was economically, you know, accessible to them, and it was it was half, hey, I want to help, and half, I'm certainly going to go, and so I want to be able to walk in. But I know you're evolving the the, the benefits. I know the newsletter started to pick up, and yes. you know, we've you've got a lot of things planned. So how do how do you see the membership, the activity level, and the interaction level of the of membership changing over the next year or two? Well, we've we've you know. In recent months, we've ramped up the level of activity, and I think that might be what you're referring to. You know, the, the much of the first year was simply getting the doors open, figuring out all of our daily operations. How does this hundred-year-old paper factory work as a essentially now a museum? Uh, and there there's interesting challenges that come along with that. Is there a swear jar around here you have to use if you use the word museum? <laughs> no, there's not. We'll throw it in every once in a while. Um, but we do use center very pointedly. You're right. You know, we yes, we've had our hands full. Look, there, there there's a small but dedicated uh, crew here. All of our staff, my amazing colleagues, we're all still wearing numerous hats. And this is not uncommon for nonprofits. You know, where you know I I'm director, which 
could mean on any given day that um, I'm calling uh, the HVAC vendor because it's, uh, you know, a little too chilly in the downstairs gallery to meeting with a donor to sitting for an interview, whatever it might be, you know, just really runs the gamut. Steve, we we see those pictures of you walking around here with Elvis Costello, so no one's going to feel bad about... No, and I'm certainly not (laughs) complaining that that part of the job happens to be, you know, well, uh, Jenkins, we'd like you to be the public face, which means that when Elvis walks in, you can do the meet and greet. Uh, there, there have been, you know, more surreal moments in this first year than my 10-year-old self or now my 56-year-old self can still quite wrap my head around. Uh, you know, hanging out with Henry Rollins for a day and talking Dylan is, is not a bad Thursday afternoon. Uh, behind all of that is... You know, the, just uh, is everything ready to open tomorrow morning? And is everyone in place? And do we have the resources we need? And uh, and all the rest of it. But uh, you know, look when it's when you're talking the mission that we're talking and the material that we're surrounded by, all of it is exciting. It's overwhelming, sure. Uh, and I never pretend that it's not. Uh, as my to do list just can, continues to grow. But this is no different than anyone else working a nonprofit job at any level. You know, from membership coordinator to director to, uh, you know, tech lead to whatever it might be. We all play really uh, vital roles. And the, the key is to create a, a positive, dare I say, profound experience for visitors. Now, many of the visitors are members getting back to that, and we want to increase that membership. We think that a way to do so is to just uh, have a lot of offerings um, to put in front of folks, not merely on the walls of the galleries, but in real time with events such as the one you referenced that we had last night with one of the foremost Dylan scholars, Michael Gray, who came out here from the south of France to give a a presentation last night. So I think there will be those sort of only at the Dylan Center type experiences uh, that we can provide that members are very eager to uh, take part in. What we hear most from everyone is access. I, give me access. What's behind the scenes? Uh, who who are the experts? You know, we really want to talk Dylan. We want to learn more than we already know. Let's get the smartest people around uh, to come to Tulsa and share their perspective and their experience with us. Uh, so we are, we're expanding on the number of public programs. We also have a concert series uh, with a partner organization here called Lowdown, which is a really lovely intimate jazz club that's, uh, you know, uh, a basement level down the stairs uh, sort of scene that feels right for Dylan and uh, analogous artists. Uh, This Friday night, for example, um, the great Mark Eitzel, uh, who fronted the the amazing American Music Club out of San Francisco and to me as one of truly our great singer-songwriters. He'll be performing in a, you know, in a club that seats 100 people. Robin Hitchcock will do the same in June. Uh, So these are experiences that I think we can offer to members uh, that hopefully keep them renewing. uh, And so that they feel, yes, they're doing something uh, to, to support the cause, but they're, they're, um, they're rewarded with that, that experience um, that, uh, is taking place here uh, on the ground in Tulsa at the center and nearby. We have members around the world though as well. And so we're very concerned with making sure that they feel like uh, they're they're along for the fun too. So we're doing more live streaming. We're making uh, content uh, available, say through an exclusive members only newsletter, clips on social media, that sort of thing. And, and that's a challenge, right? Because you're, you you want to be a physical space and you want you want to bring people here but there's reality that a here is Tulsa Oklahoma absolutely as lovely as it is it's not 
the most convenient place in the world. Direct flight from New York now and more cities being added. But yes, we know it can be uh, a trek to get out here. So uh, we were so appreciative when, for all these uh, visitors who've made the effort the first year. Uh, and uh, we'll do our best to, you know, to bridge those gaps by uh, delivering, I think, some really exciting content, uh, you know, uh, electronically until people can make the trip themselves. There's, there's trade-offs is how you're thinking about that I'm interested in. And it, the trip is clearly worth it, right? I'm in the middle. And as I've told you privately, I, I did two hours downstairs the first day. And I don't, I could not have walked up the stairs because I couldn't take any more in. Mm-hmm. And by no means do I think I was exhaustive even on, on floor one. So everyone should definitely come. But the practicality is even if, you know, someone can get here once a year, once every two years, yes. that's a different thing. How are you thinking about those trade-offs, right? There's nothing stopping a lot of stuff from going online, except that that it's not the same and it devalues certain things. And, you know, there's no easy answer. So I'm not trying to play gotcha. I'm just no, curious. Sure. I know you've recorded these things and you're now going to make them available to members. And I think yes. that's great. Tell us how you're wrestling with it. Yeah, we're continuing to think about that. You know, again, going back to this idea that, you know, what good is an archive if it's sitting on the proverbial dusty shelves and, you know, and uh, and no one's seeing it except for, you know, a couple people on staff. Uh, who open up those boxes and put on the white gloves or funnily enough, no longer put on the white gloves for a lot of the materials because they were found to potentially be more damaging than, uh, than uh, the skin of our potentially oily fingertips. But if you wash up well, you actually can touch a lot of things now, uh, without uh, a layer of latex. Um, So we want to make this stuff available Uh, at the same time, at least in this initial phase, um, getting people to Tulsa has been a big part of the mission. We're hoping that uh, visitors are discovering not only the the treasure trove of the Dillon Center and our Woody Guthrie Center, but other attractions in in Tulsa too. So that has been a a thrust, uh, but we inevitably will figure out ways to put more of the materials online uh, if we think it does the, both the materials and the and the viewers justice, you know, uh, we we don't want a, you know a, a poor reproduction of the blood notebooks, for example, circulating, uh, you know, and then gets off on a trajectory of its own and maybe can be misinterpreted or the the objects aren't being seen really for what they are. So we're thinking a lot about that. Could we potentially take the show on the road? What might that look like? Uh, Could we have an exhibition from the Dillon Center going to world capitals all over or to Hibbing or to you name it? Yeah. So, so that's something that we're trying to wrap our, uh, our minds around as we, as we think about uh, long-term exhibition schedules, not only here in the galleries, uh, but potentially at, at venues internationally. So that's something to consider. Before we conclude, let me tell you a little more about what's in the extended version of this interview. Later in the conversation with Stephen, we discuss the economics of the archive, including the original deal to acquire all the content, and the balance between the Kaiser Foundation members, sponsors, and supporters in terms of funding the operation going forward. We talk a little bit about the new Bob Dylan archive book, Mixing Up the Medicine, which showcases over 600 pages of photos from the archive. We talk about how the archive is growing with new contributions from Bob and other collectors, and what they're acquiring in terms of buying from auctions and other places in the market. You can upgrade to FM Plus in the extended version right in Apple Music or visit fmpods.com. I was thinking this this morning, sort of reflecting on two days, and there's kind of nothing here 
that you go, oh, I wish it, everything is done as good as you can imagine. And it's just shocking for anything these days, to be honest. But anyway, the combination of the right people, yet professional, it's not just a bunch of fans fuddling their way through. All of you have the right you know, backgrounds and credentials for, for what you're doing. So uh, you want, once again, in the Bob world, things get done the right way, as it seems like it always does. Anyway, thanks. Thanks and congratulations. Well, thank you for that. That's really nice to hear, you know, coming from a, a fellow insider, if, if, uh, if we've passed the test for you, Craig, and for your listeners by extension, and I hope if you all haven't been able to come in, uh, that you will be able to soon, you know, that that's high praise. Uh, so, so thanks. We're going to continue to build on this foundation of the first year. Uh, there's so much we're excited about exhibitions, programs, you know, things which, you know, we started months ago and maybe they'll come to fruition six months from now where it's a long game and, and some of the really exciting stuff takes a long time to get, to get right. But, uh, I think we've got some pretty, uh, special stuff coming up. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> You're welcome. Did you enjoy this show? Then please rate this podcast and leave a review. It really helps. And take a moment to follow this podcast so you don't miss upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening.